how are you? I want you to do something for me, okay? Take a deep breath. Okay. Now that coffee that you're drinking there, I slipped a little something in there before we started today. <laughs> All right, and in about 10 minutes, you're gonna start to feel something, so. Well, that, I'm gonna guide you through that trip, baby. All right. I, I think that's perfect for what we're about to talk about. I think so too. So, in the words of Timothy Leary, via John Lennon, turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream. I, Today we're tackling the monster that is tomorrow never knows. Yeah. Mark one. Yeah. Hmm. Mark one. Mark one. Yeah. Mark one. This is our our eighth episode, by the way. Is it really? Okay. This I is was... our eighth episode. I misquoted ourselves. I did a little research on ourselves, having been so long. Our last episode prior to <laughs> the one that we did last week was a hard day's night, where we discussed the chord. Yes. And then in Hey Jude last week, you also discussed the chord in that one. A chord, sure. Yeah. A, and and in this one, we're just going to talk about a chord. So many cool <laughs> things to unwrap. In this one, we're talking about Tomorrow Never Knows that closes out. Um, where do you rank Revolver? Let's just float that out there before we even start. In your, in your, list, in your rank of Beatles albums, where does Revolver fall for you? Wow. Um, it's up there, definitely. Yeah. I mean, some great songs. Uh, Taxman has always been one of my favorites. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting. George Harrison said in the anthology that he... he, he lumps Rubber Soul and Revolver together as one album, yeah. and I could not disagree more. I think yeah, they are as a completely double album, different. That, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. It wouldn't... It's more Pepper than Rubber Soul to me. It's more LSD trip than Pot Trip of Rubber Soul. You know, it's way deeper of an album. They're making way more of a statement. Yeah. Uh, and I think they plant their flag in the moon with, with this song. Here, but where do you where do you think? I mean, is it above Sgt. Pepper for you? Is it above Abbey Road for you? Oh no, no, no. It's not it's uh, it's not above uh, Abbey Road for sure. Um, it's actually not even above Rubber Soul for me. Rubber Soul's always been one of my favorites. Got it. Um, but it is, I think it's a little underappreciated for the sort of. I mean, the Beatles at this point, when they start recording, so T Tomorrow Never Knows is the first song that they record for mm -hmm. Revolver, and they've had... Hey, nice segue, by the way. That was hot. Was it? Yeah. yeah. That was really hot. I like that. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> and speaking of Revolver, that was unplanned, by the way. We don't plan any of this. <laughs> <laughs> what was I saying? My Sigu my Sigu no, got me uh, We're talking about the first song they recorded for Revolver. Yeah, for so me, Revolver is is up there. I like it. This is this is a big statement. I mean, I like it a little more than Sgt. Pepper. I like. I think it's a little less uh, masterpiece -y than Sgt. Pepper. I think it's a little more accessible. The songs are way more fun to play live. Like. On that album, you know, she's yeah. not she's like she said, she said, as a rocker, tax man, as a rocker, got to get into my life, hardcore rocker. Um, and your this bird one, can of course, sing. and your bird can say, I mean, it's just loaded with these fun songs, and I like that about it. So, it's probably like my third favorite Beatle album, it's up there, it's pretty high for me. Nice. Um, but if you combined Rubber Soul and Revolver, then god, I mean, it's 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 probably the second best one for me, right. Right. You know what what's, I mean? What's I, the best? So Abbey Road for me. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. God. It's, it's undeniable. Yeah. Yeah. 
So they start to record this song. Now, what I what I love about the recording process, it all, it all kind of starts with homework, right? That's kind of what I'm learning, that they all have these tape recorders that they're, they're demoing stuff with. And Paul McCartney, the pioneer that he is, we won't say that he invents sampling, but in this song, you know, in this, in, uh, they're kind of saying that Paul McCartney invents sampling by recording a, an orchestra playing a note, and that is one of the loops that you hear that happens throughout the song that they create, this little beautiful thing. John does a thing. Paul has the, the laugh, himself laughing. Uh, people don't really know exactly all this stuff was going on, but they create this sound montage much more successfully in this song than in Revolution 9, way more accessible, way more interesting than even Benefit of Mr. Kite, this like idea that they had four different tape loops that George Martin and Jeff Emmerich were running through, and five, I'm sorry, five different tape loops, uh, it, and it can never be recreated with right. the magic that they did. I mean, it's not like now where it's like, oh, you take this loop and you put it in iTunes and flip it, or, you know what I mean? They, they were, talk to me about that part. Uh, that's that's that, what's unbelievable that about how they did my it. Mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they all have you know uh, tape machines at home, and and uh, so leading up to this, uh, it's April of '66 when they come into the studio. They've been off for three months at this point, which is the longest break they've had since '62. Wow. Um, wow. And so. You know, there and and what a what a song to come back with, you know, compared to where they were with with Rubber Soul, right. um, and so a totally different. Like you were saying, a totally different universe. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Just such a step up. Yeah. Wow. So so George has immersed himself with Indian music. Paul's gotten into classical, and John has started taking LSD. Yeah, I'm not sure what Ringo's doing at this point. It's not <laughs> quite Ringo's learning chess, Ringo. but that comes later. Um, but yeah, so so the loops um, and 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 I'm reading differing things. Like Paul was responsible for most of the loops, but George and Ringo also came up with stuff. Is that what you're seeing? It's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the most trusted source for me was Giles Martin talking and sound breaking. Oh, that was yeah. the, the best resource where he had access, you know, to those tape loops. And he's bringing each of them up individually and then explaining how his dad and, and the Beatles like sat around and with pencils, essentially. It it really blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, but he's the most trusted source that I, I think. I mean, so really, who knows? I, yeah, Could, I would agree with it's that. It's a combo of all of them, right? Yeah. And I, I haven't seen Sound Breaking in a long time. I need to buy that. That's that's such a great series. What a PBS. And, and they give this song the most love. Yeah. And yeah. the, the episode that they talk about, yeah, sampling. That's yeah. right. Yeah, it is a sampling episode, isn't it? Yeah. That's, yeah. I forgot. And it's that. really, I mean, it's really cool that the Beatles, you know, you don't think of the Beatles in that way, but there they are. Right. Yeah. 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 Once again, like uh, way ahead. Because sampling doesn't really even take hold until late 70s. Right. I mean, people, Rapper's Delight is really kind of your first big sample that everybody kind of hears, and that's yeah, yeah. 10, 12 years later after, you know, right. these tripped-out Brits are in their place. <laughs> oh, this is cool, man. This is really cool, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so the loops. There's five loops. Sorry, yeah. um, uh, there's the seagull sound that's Paul laughing, maybe, sped up. 
Right. Um, there's an orchestral chord of a B major chord, which is kind of superimposed onto what is just a song that sticks in on the note of C entirely throughout the composition, which is very Indian. That's uh, Indian music right. typically does not change chords, and and I'm using chords again in my imaginary quotes that you can't see. Um, so, so there's that. Uh, there's a Mellotron or sitar sound. There's a sitar playing a scale that is sped up immensely and then reversed, I think. Um, what else? And then a mellotron string thing. Maybe. <laughs> and that's the beauty, that that's... No one really knows. Speaking of tomorrow, never knows. No, really, nobody really knows how they did what they did. What if it's seagulls? Paul's like, ah, I was laughing. He, you know, <laughs> I don't think they really know at this point. So you have people speculating, which we are, but we know that you, that you can't pull that off live. <laughs> this right. is like their first song where it's like, there's no way they're ever playing this live. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes it more pep, you know, because you can play Rubber Soul pretty much no problem. A couple acoustics, you know, it's not. But this album, you start to go, huh. Well, they can play Taxman live. Um, George Martin definitely steps in and takes a huge role in this song. John comes to him with this idea of uh, turning off my phone now. Excuse me, something important is happening. John has this idea of the Dalai Lama standing on a, a mountain, uh, you know, on top of the Himalayas singing this song and having monks chanting Tomorrow Never Knows or chanting The Void, which is the original name of the song. And he wanted to rig some, you know, because George said, well, I don't, I don't think we can afford to fly out to the Himalayas. <laughs> and so John's next idea, which I love, <laughs> is what about if you rig me in the studio and spin me around a microphone? Yeah, suspend me, suspend me upside down from a rope in the middle of Abbey Road. And swing me around. (laughs) And push me in a circle around a microphone. Once again, we don't condone the use of drugs, but... (laughs) Um, I think Jeff Emmerich says they always told him we're looking into that. (laughs) We're gonna. That's. We're gonna look into that, John. We're taking it into consideration, John. Instead, talk to me about about what they did to achieve that unreal sound of uh, John's voice on that song. So, uh, so a couple of things. So, the first half of the song is treated with uh, ADT, automatic double tracking. Which, um, so, just to explain a little bit. <clears throat> in in layperson's terms, uh, a lot of pop records are recorded with a double vocal. You record your vocal, you go back, you sing it again. Uh, the Beatles hated doing that, and a lot of a, a lot of things uh, recorded '64 and especially in '65 were recorded twice. They had double doubled vocals. Um, John John hated. They all hated doing it. So uh, Ken Townsend, who was an engineer at at Abbey Road, uh, came up with the idea of syncing two tape tracks or tape machines together re- and taking a feed off of the 
There's a sink head and a play head. I don't really. I'm not going to explain how it all works. But anyway. There are no notes in front of him, by the way. He's riffing this off the top of his head. Just so, for clarity's sake. So they took a feed off of one of the off of the earlier head, which I think is the sink head, and then fed it to another tape machine, brought it back in, and it would be about 30 to 40 milliseconds later. Not enough time where it sounds like a, dis- a s- distinct echo, but it sounds like two people having sang it. But it's only one person. Thinking Ken Townsend, the sound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of a, what we call chorusing today, but a much more, uh, uh, much more complex sound that they were able to get at Abbey Road. And because of their tape machines and how they did it, no other studio really was able to achieve that sound. I mean, John Lennon talked about that at the Hit Factory when he was recording Double Fantasy in the 80s. He's like, there's no way we can get that sound that Abbey Road did. Um, so there's that. Then, then, so that's the first half of the song. You just got a pound of knowledge dropped on you people. That was <laughs> off the top of his head. All right, that's beautiful stuff. And that's why. <laughs> that's why we're doing this. All right. <laughs> that so was the, beautiful, Jay. Talk to me about the second half. The second it, half. Yeah. So instead of swinging around the studio. Right. Right. Jeff Emrick, <laughs> who, uh, so so this is his. Jeff Emrick is the engineer uh, at this point. He takes over for Ken Smith. Ken Smith. Right? Norman Smith, Norman Smith. Uh, so he Norm. takes a Norman, normal. Uh, and so this is his first session recording Tomorrow Never Knows. And uh, so the first thing that he does is is kind of breaks rules and is able to um, send John's voice through a Leslie cabinet, which... A Leslie cabinet is what's used on organs, essentially. Right. It gives you that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the second half of, of the song is John's vocal being fed through a Leslie cabinet, um, which gives well, the it horns. That the horns of, spin around. Yeah. In inside of the Leslie cabinet, and it's like, oh, John's like, yeah, it's like me and then. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. He had no idea. Right. It sounds so, I mean, Tom Petty in Soundbreaking talks about, and he's like, you could just hear him in there, man, and it just blew your mind. <laughs> That's a good And Petty, when you listen man. to it back, I mean, it is, um, it's a, it's so effective. And what, a, I mean, again, a production choice made to satisfy their drug fueled minds by these straight laced Brits. And it's brilliant what they came up with. And it just sounds so cool. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, I have to talk about Emmerich a little bit uh, because, you know, I, I mean, he's 19 or 20 at this point. And granted, the Beatles wow. aren't much older than him. Right. But imagine, like, I can't imagine being having that responsibility myself at 19 or 20. Um, but he was up up to the task. Oh, cool. They're, lawn, they're mowing lawns. <laughs> Sorry about I that, I can't folks. hear it in my maracas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Um, yeah. So, but but the other thing he does is he also breaks studio rules and moves the drum mics much closer to Ringo's drum kit, and then feeds them through what's called a a, a compressor, a, a holy grail compressor at this point in in studio uh, lore of a uh, it's called a Fairchild six sixty, and that's where that's where. Ringo's drum sound of Revolver and Sgt. Pepper happens. And it's it's totally 
um, from Emmerich and how he did it. Um, he took there's the there's a there's a shot of the Beatles in a woolen sweater where they have four heads. They're all in the same sweater. Right. That was in the studio. They they for some reason and he stuck that in the bass drum to deaden the sound, but then was able to make it huge with that compressor. And, and loosen the toms as well, correct? To get that... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, right. So that's that starts on this session with uh, Tomorrow Never Knows and continues really as long as, as, long as they're recording at Abbey Road. And uh, Emmerich won the Beatles over immediately with those two uh, developments that he provided sonically for them. I want to... I'm reading uh, George Martin's book right now, just kind of starting it. And I always assumed that, um, you know, when they started, George was the guy with EMI. Mm -hmm. And I didn't kind of realize that midway through, George kind of started working with other people and branching out and becoming his own person. Was Air Studios around at this point? Was George already broken away from EMI at this point? I know that's a weird question to ask, but I... It's kind of around this, like the Sergeant Peppery revolver time when he's working with other acts, and um, and but then let somebody like Jeff Emmerich come in and shine the way that he does. I don't know if that was around that time. I mean, is this the time that he's breaking away from? It seems like it was sixty-five-ish, but I, but yeah. off the top of my head, I don't know. But yeah, you're right. He starts. He 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 essentially leaves the AMI and becomes an independent um, producer but then also builds his own studio um, right. just outside of London, I believe. And there's several the of them Aero around Studios. the country yeah. now. I just, I, I never, that was a part of the Beatle world that I never knew about. I didn't know that George, you know, was dissatisfied. And a lot of the time wasn't getting any credit or making any money at right. all, really, right. and played such an integral part. But you see that he just grooms these other people and his ability to let them kind of do their thing leads to something like that. I feel, yeah. you know, and maybe even at this time, this time. So I don't know where that came from <laughs> at this time. He decided, all right. Okay. We become a New York talk show. Now listen, George Martin, he's a freaking genius. All right. Okay. And he leaves these suits. All right. And he becomes his own guy. I don't know where that came from, but anyway, I just thought their ability to stretch the limits. I, it's got he plays such an important part in that George Martin. Yeah. And, and in this song in particular, I mean, I think George is the sampler, you know, like he's so brilliant. And and every song we talk about, my respect for him goes up 100%. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. fifth Beatle for sure. Yeah. I want to talk about uh one of the things that come back to anything that you want, but I'm digging into this song a little bit. I there's talk and there's uh, nobody really knows the solo. Oh. And there's talk that it's the taxman solo in reverse, sped up. Have you heard that? Um, or slowed down to match the key, or in some way altered. But it's and when they flip it around, I don't know. What do you? What, what are your thoughts on that? I I did read that. Um, and I I uh, so taxman was re recorded after this, right? Um, and I and I look through. There's a studio log that said it was recorded on three days, April six, April seven, and April twenty second. And so it's possible. And and um, 
because when I first it's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I first read that, I was like, because I I used to think that, and then I was like, well, no, because it doesn't, uh, you know, but but I, I think it's possible. Um, they would have added it later, um, but yeah, like a last. All right, so we need to give our professional opinion. What do you think? I um, defer to you. Uh, I, I mean, it, it certainly sounds like something Paul had done because he he plays that sort of Indian raga thing. It's 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 in Taxman. It's in Good Good Morning Good Morning. Um, he he does that thing a lot. That little thing, yeah. That yeah. little one note. Yeah. yeah. You know, and we're um, going with it's a very good possibility. Yeah. That's our professional opinion. Yeah. I mean, all this is conjecture possible. anyway, because yeah, we have no we idea. They we don't weren't know. there, and they they don't no. remember either. You know? <laughs> exactly. And the only person making stuff up is Paul now, so it's cool. <laughs> we play this one live. Let's talk about doing it uh, live. Um, yeah, it always shocks me. It, <laughs> we do use loops for this. They did. Our rule with with some of these songs is if the Beatles would have not been able to pull it off live, we don't try to pull it off live. And I've seen Paul do Benefit of Mr. Kite where he plays with the tracks of Benefit of Mr. Kite. And when we play this song, that's what we do. Essentially, we have a loop that's... We'll talk about what we did to make that happen. We're We're pulling the curtain back, buddy. Yeah. So talk about so we have clicks in our ears where we can hear what's going on. But you created a loop out of talk. Talk to me about what you did so we can recreate this song live. Well, so uh, I went through and and notated what what is being played and um, came as close as I could sonically to try to recreate that. And um, and it's great stuff. I mean. Live, it works. You just, we, we, the, here's the little behind the scenes. There's a click happening, and it's a fast click on this one, I believe. <laughs> Turn off your mind, relax. And because my brother Ryan sings it, and it's easy to get lost, you can hear the click in my maracas here, right? You hear that? So you hear Jay go, verse one, three, two, one, go. And they're like, guitar solo. <laughs> so we're not cheating because Jay created that. It's not like we are borrowing something that somebody else made. Uh, we recreated it the best that we could, and Jay plays a wicked live guitar solo. Would use a reverse. What are it, you using for that? It's it's actually a, it's an envelope uh, filter, a volume thing. So it, 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 when I pluck a note, it actually uh, doesn't have the attack. So then the volume lets up, and so it sounds like it sounds it's like it's reverse because the attack is gone. If that makes sense. So yeah, sure. It's wicked. It took me years to figure out how to do it. <laughs> now we're, get, we're we're telling all the secrets. The 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 bass for this song has got to be that groove. And realizing how they recorded it, I understand why when we play it live, it's all about the boom, da, dum, dum, da, da, and the dum, da, dum, dum, just that driving C from McCartney. It grooves so hard there, and that was the first track they laid down, right? Paul, yeah. uh, Paul and Ringo. Drop that groove, and then they lay everything on top. So Jay's doing that stuff. My brother Ryan's singing it, and and I take a casino with a reverse delay on it, with the OCD all the way engaged, and sing into the uh, sing into the pickups. Do the ah, 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 yeah. That's my favorite. That's my favorite thing it, now. When we live, do it, live. it works, and I at the end, it. I'll do the turn of you, and it just sounds wickedly cool. So if you're trying to do it live, that's what we do. Don't cheat though. Make your own loop. 
Okay, <laughs> that's what we did. It, it's great because uh, in the in the 9/11 tribute concert in October of 2001, McCartney's heard talking to a uh, a Beatles tribute band, and he says, "You don't play tomorrow, never knows, do you?" <laughs> <laughs> well, we do. We so, do. Paul, if you ever want to jam with us, come come jam with us. Uh, let's see. I'm weird actually, performance. I'll go ahead. Yeah. Little, little side note. I'm actually. I have an idea of getting rid of those loops and playing them live. By the way, I dig it. So totally uh, into that. We're we'll, gonna get some we'll, tape machines. We'll work on that. Uh, you know, hopefully we're we're playing by December. Here's our hope, buddy. This is our hope. If not, we have this podcast anyway. We're talking about all the songs that we love, and now we've come to the point in this program where we are going to need to rate it with our glass onion rating system. It's foolproof. And I realized in our last episode that I rated the last one a five star. <laughs> Again, they're glass onions. Me relearning the show that we created together. <laughs> also, we're still searching for a sponsor out there. If anyone wants to sponsor looking through the glass onion, we're, we're still taking uh, invitations on that. Uh, totally. Today's Waterloo uh, is grapefruit. Oh, nice! Oh, yeah. Nice. So, if nice. you like grapefruit, I got. It's I'm, for you. Jay, what I'm do you have over there, some, buddy? Some. Um, I can't remember the brand name of coffee. Yesterday was my birthday. Happy belated birthday to me! Happy belated birthday, um, buddy! But my landlord. You don't look a day over forty. Oh. <laughs> my landlord sent me coffee for my birthday. How sweet was How that? How sweet is that? I'd also like to celebrate. It's. Uh, it's a little over. We were this time last year. We were. Uh, headlining in Las Vegas, where we had a great time. But yeah. two weeks before that, you and I rode roller coasters at uh, at Cedar Point. <laughs> Cedar, Cedar Point <laughs> in San that was Disco, ago, So Ohio. here's to that. We can't do any of that stuff right now. So instead, we're talking to each other via Zoom, yeah. our other sponsor. <laughs> so Waterloo and Zoom are <laughs> sponsoring right now. So <laughs> I want you to discuss your rating for this song and explain to me why. Give me your glass onion rating. All right. All right, so um, I'm going. Uh, tomorrow never knows. Did we establish half half points? Can we go? We can absolutely these? do half. Or right. you know what? In, uh, in this, my brother turned me on to the guy that rates the pizzas, and they do it on a like a uh, ice skating scale. So they'll rate it nine point six, oh, nine point okay. whatever. So oh. why don't we? Go, we're changing to that method right now. Oh, so I on like a it. ten like point it. glass onion scale, you have to give me a percent. If that's a one point two. I, I like it. I like it. Otherwise, we're given rookie things. Like I gave a 10 glass onion to Hey Jude. That's a rookie score, but it's a perfect song. So talk to the me. The East German judge to... gave it an A3. <laughs> That's an right. A3. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm going to go 4.6 glass onion. 4.6. 4.6. On Here's, a five, on a five, five glass onion are we, scale. Are, are, are we going, let's to, going 10. to 10? Let's go yeah, to let's 10. Let's go to 10. It gives you a little bit more leeway, so change on the fly here. Okay, so that uh, I'm going to go I'm going to go 9.2 then. 9. Jay 2. gives 9.2 glass onions to it. it. Tell me why. And let me explain that real quick. I think Please. I think it starts with this song. I I think I think I can see a progression with with Lennon of Tomorrow Never Knows go, becomes Strawberry Fields, becomes Day in the Life, becomes Walrus, devolves to Revolution 9, and ultimately ends up as Imagine. Wow. 
Because he's talking about. Hang on, hang on. That is badass, Jay. All right, hold on. (laughs) Let me me put my Sharpie down for that one. Talk talk to me about that. That is what a phenomenal take. Well, talk to me. So this, I mean, to, to me, Lennon's work in the Beatles is peaked at Strawberry Fields, Day in the Life, Walrus, as far as experimentally. He yeah, wrote better quote unquote pop rock songs than those three songs. I mean, in in my life, obviously. Right. But but those three experimentally took the Beatles to a place that they never went at any other time. I I think that started with this song. I think the experimentation in the studio started with this song. I think LSD obviously had a huge uh, <laughs> thing to do with all of this. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, and, and we haven't tackled Strawberry Fields, Day in the Life, or Walrus. Oh. I'm, I'm intimidated to do that, and I think we'll need like an hour and a half show for those maybe hey man there's nobody telling us what we can't do <laughs> that that'll be a special episode <laughs> of looking through the glass onion um 9.2 man that is a so talk to me about how it gets to imagine well i think um if you listen the, to the lyrics and i know that that a lot of the lyric in tomorrow never knows comes from the tibetan book of the dead uh, the psychedelic experience, Timothy Leary, who also didn't come, wasn't come together like Timothy Leary's campaign exactly, slogan. Yeah, Timothy Leary is very influential on John. Yeah, especially early seventies John. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, I think there are some common things. I, I, I think Imagine takes what he um, learns, reads about, writes about in Tomorrow Never Knows, and he refines that and takes it to the next level with Imagine. That's my thought. That's a beautiful take, buddy. And that's a 9.2 from you. I'm going to go 8.3, and I'll tell you why. All right? This is a great song. I mean, anything over six is, uh, you have to listen to it. It's a quintessential Beatles song, top 20 Beatles song. Uh, I give it the 8.3 for the influence that it ends up having, but I think you see how important Paul is to John. It's always, now I'm a Paul guy and you know that, but it's yep. always without John, Paul was this, right? Right, right. We, talk, we hear that all the time. This is a song where without Paul, this is Revolution 9 and it's not as good, right? Paul I'm has totally. the idea with the loops. Paul has the, I mean, there's a, George influences a song with his the Indian stuff that he's, he's really embracing that one chord feel, uh, kind of quoting something spiritual and textual. There's that part to it. John is the best regurgitator of any songwriter I've ever seen. Where he can, I just love what he did. Where he reads Timothy Leary's book, which is already an interpretation, a drugged out interpretation, and kind of a guide to how to take a trip. John takes it and makes it John, and then backs off of The Void, which is something that I wish he wouldn't have done. The Void is a way cool song for, name for this. That was the original title. Right, right. Which is all based on The Void and that dark feeling. And he, you know, takes a Ringo malapropism and makes it Tomorrow Never Knows, which makes this song quirky and fun, which 
I think it's darker if it's the void. Oh, totally. Um, and I, and I, it's probably, I don't know. So that's why, but the influence that it has, and like you said, I think Walrus is a way better trippy song. I think A Day in the Life is like the masterpiece of John. But again, Paul's there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think John can go off the rails just like Paul could in the opposite direction. And you see what George Martin and Paul and John together can create in this right. song. And that's why I give it the 8.3 instead of like a 7, which I kind of think of like as a song. It's like, oh, they're... I mean, there's no bridge. There's no cool bridge to it. You know what I mean? There's right. none of that like... Right, yeah, yeah. The cool, the cool shit you have to dig for and find. And that's what makes it... It's like, oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that looping for the first time happened. But your take is killer, man. What a great take on John. Well, that's why I, I love doing this show with you, buddy. It's the best. <laughs> I, I agree. I, I mean, I think... Um, you know, and, and people forget, Paul was... Paul was the avant-garde one back in this period. I mean, period. he doesn't get credit for that, man. No, he, John John was no pretty credit. much holed up in his house, you know? Yeah. Paul was in the swinging 60s London. He was the one going to, yeah, you got to come to this, you got to do this, you know? And I, he just, he brought a lot to the table. And we forget that sometimes. I think Paul's always the sweet one. And it's like, really? I mean, that tax man solo is badass. Yeah. And that's Paul McCartney. Yeah. You know, that's not... That's not George. That's Macca. Right. Anyway, this was my favorite episode we've done. I hope people listening, it has been yours as well. Also, McCartney kind of gave Ringo the idea for the drum pattern. Just like Ticket Ticket to Ride was Paul's idea. Supposedly, he gave Ringo the idea for this drum pattern, too. Okay. I got to fight for Paul. All right. He's a badass. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yeah, I think because when John quit writing right. songs, guess who wrote great ones? All right, his name's Paul Emmer F. and McCartney. All right, <laughs> the sweet one who played drums on back in the USSR. Yeah, he played those sweetly. Anyway, I can't wait to get to those songs, man. <laughs> T- totally right. It's my choice next. I have no idea what we're doing. Uh, if you'd like to request a song for us to do, info at billymcguigan.com. This stuff's all going up on my website soon. We're putting some in the hopper, so you guys have a lot of content, or whatever that stuff is. We have no idea what we're talking about. We're just having a good time. <laughs> it's great to see your smiling face, birthday boy. You too, my friend. Alright, man. Hope to be in the same room with you soon. Yeah, yeah, totally, right? Peace out. Peace out, buddy. Peace out.